Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John and going to chapter 8. John chapter 8, over the years, I've done some reading about the life of um, Jonathan Edwards. You ever read anything about Jonathan Edwards or read any of the writings of Jonathan Edwards? Over the years, I've read some writings about him. I've read some of his writings. Jonathan Edwards has been called by many, uh, America's greatest theologian. Edwards lived and ministered as a pastor in the early 1700s. Sadly, he died at the young age of 55. Uh, The the circumstances were difficult, uh, complications following a smallpox vaccination. At the age, age of 55, in his short lifetime, He was incredibly productive for the Lord. Incredibly productive. He wrote and accomplished more through his theologically rich writings than most pastors could accomplish in many lifetimes. And we ought to thank God for men like Jonathan Edwards, who are very productive for the Lord. His writing... Uh, sometimes if you've read any of his writings, you'll, you know this, his writings can be hard to digest sometimes because of its thoroughness. He leaves no leaf unturned, but reading his work is, is worth the effort. And the more you read of Jonathan Edwards, the more you'll become accustomed to how rich and, and, um, and theologically challenging it can be, encouraging it can be. It can be an effort, but it's worth the effort. And um, his writings are, are, are very much worth reading for the church today. Still, even though he wrote in the 1700s, what he wrote was theologically rich, biblically sound, and the church, meaning you and me, will benefit greatly if we will read some of Jonathan Edwards. There's another reason I like Jonathan Edwards. He was a smart guy, and I say that because he married a Pierpont. <laughs> Sarah Pierpont. How do you like that? While reading about uh, Jonathan Edwards writing on the beauty of Christ, and he d- does that incredibly well, I came across a piece that he wrote on the majesty of the sun. And in it, he speaks of the beauty of Christ in his diverse excellencies. It sounds like something written in the 1700s, doesn't it? The beauty of Christ in his diverse excellencies. I'm going to try to say that, say that several times tonight. It's a mouthful. But tonight, I, I want to stand on Jonathan Edwards' shoulders and kind of steal his, borrow, I don't steal, borrow his outline I want to. I want to. I want you to be encouraged by something that he wrote, and I want to use something he wrote to kind of lead us through the scriptures with this wonderful truth about the beauty of Christ in His diverse excellencies. So tonight, I thought it would be encouraging, helpful to simply follow the thoughts of Edwards as he guides us with some thoughts. And before us, uh, what I shared this morning from John chapter 8, I'm going to allude to a few passages in John 8, that as Jesus said in John 8, verse 59, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And I want to share with you a few of the beauties of Christ 
in his diverse excellencies, as Jonathan Edwards puts it. And I want to kind of springboard off of, off of these and point to the scriptures where we see why Jesus should be believed in and obeyed. It's what the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders that we see in John 8 were struggling with. They were not believing in Jesus. They weren't believing the evidence, but the scriptures are clear. So here's the first, as Jonathan Edwards says, there do meet in Jesus Christ infinite highness and infinite condescension. There meet in Christ infinite highness and infinite condescension. There's an indicator of this truth seen from our passage this morning. If you're in John 8, go to verse 58. The Jews said, looking at verse, well, let me start with verse 57. You are not yet 50 years old, speaking to Jesus, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, and here it is again, before Abraham was, I am. I am. Not before Abraham was, I was. No, I am, he says. That's, that's the infinite highness of Jesus Christ, preexistent before time as we know it. Think of that if you can. Before anything else was, before time as we know it, Jesus says, I am. You know, that's also what Colossians 1 and verse 17 says about Jesus. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. That's the infinite highness of Jesus Christ. As to the infinite condescension of Jesus, it's seen in his willingness to come to earth. Think of that. God in human flesh. God putting on human flesh to come to earth as a baby. We would not write the story this way, would we? Jesus putting on human flesh, God in human flesh, coming as a baby, to be, to be born in humble circumstances, but he was doing as the Father required, taking on himself the scorn of men when they, we saw it in verse 59 this morning when they picked up stones to throw at him, humbling himself, the infinite condescension of Jesus. We also see the infinite condescension of Jesus ultimately when in submission to the Father he went to the cross and was crucified like a criminal. Just think of that. As Edward says, the infinite highness and the infinite condescension meet in Jesus Christ. Next, we also see the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies and the fact that, as says Edwards, in the person of Christ do meet together infinite glory and lowest humility. Infinite glory and lowest humility. We have a hard time comprehending how in Jesus, infinite glory and lowest humility can meet, can be in the same person, but they do in Jesus Christ. 
Uh, hear this, Philippians 2, 6 says of Jesus, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, came to earth, lived as a man, and didn't always use all of the power that he had as God available to him. That's humility. But he's also glorious. Jesus is God in human flesh, but he was, he was not above being made low for our sake. Thank the Lord. He was not above being made low for us. It's, it's why 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think of that, in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, you become the righteousness of God. Because, because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his humility. And Jesus says in Matthew 11 and verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Next, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact, as Edward says, in the person of Christ, in the person of Christ, do meet together infinite majesty and transcendent Meekness, infinite majesty and transcendent meekness. Majesty and meekness in the same person? Yes, in Jesus Christ. We can see that powerfully when Jesus Christ, the God-man, says in Matthew 11 and verse 29, which I just read, but it's worth reading again, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We also hear this in Philippians 2, and verse 7, speaking of Jesus, Philippians 2, 7 says, He emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, Jesus could have been born in the likeness of men and taking the form, taken the form of a ruler, but he didn't. He took on the form of a servant. Praise God that in Jesus Christ do meet together infinite majesty and transcendent meekness. Next, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that, as Edward says, there meet in the person of Christ the deepest reverence towards God and equality with God. Reverence toward God and equality with God. In fact, Jesus himself demonstrates proper worship of God. 
We can see it when he kneels before God the Father in prayer, says Luke 22 and verse 41, as he withdrew from his disciples, that he knelt down and prayed. Jesus shows reverence before God. Now, does that mean you have to get on your knees to show reverence to God? It doesn't hurt. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can actually be on your knees and not show reverence to God. Uh, The attitude of your heart is what God is most concerned with. But Jesus knelt down and prayed. Prayed to the Father, God the Father. God the Son, praying to God the Father. Uh, Jesus was not like the Pharisee that we hear of in Luke 18.11 who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. (laughs) That was not Jesus. God, I thank you. God the Father, I thank you that I, God the Son, I'm not like all these sinners. No, that was not Jesus. Next, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that, as Edward says, there are conjoined in the person of Christ infinite worthiness of good and the greatest patience of under sufferings of evil. Infinite worthiness of good and the greatest patience under sufferings of evil. Jesus Christ deserved reverent praise and honor and worship. But in Hebrews 12.2, we find that even under the greatest suffering, he was completely patient Not like we would be. It doesn't take much to make us impatient, does it? It doesn't take much to aggravate us, but not Jesus. Exceedingly and completely patient. Uh, Hebrews 12.2 Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame. He endured the cross. How? With great patience. With the greatest of patience. Infinite worthiness of good and the greatest patience under sufferings of evil. We're also reminded of this in 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might Bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That's the infinite worthiness of good and the greatest patience under sufferings of evil. Next, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that, as Edward says, in the person of Christ are conjoined an exceeding spirit of obedience with supreme dominion over heaven and earth. If there was anyone who, ha- who could have had anything his way, it was Jesus. And yet, together we find in Christ an exceeding spirit of obedience with supreme dominion over heaven and earth. Jesus says this in John 15.10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have, here's Jesus, kept my Father's 
commandments and abide in his love. The spirit of obedience. Combine that with the truth that we see in John 10 and verse 18. And we see clearly the spirit of obedience joined with his supreme dominion over heaven and earth. John 10, if you're you're near there, John 10 and verse 18. No one takes it, his life. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so in Jesus Christ, an exceeding spirit of obedience combined, conjoined with supreme dominion over heaven and earth. Next, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that as Edwards says, in the person of Christ are conjoined absolute sovereignty and perfect resignation. Absolute sovereignty and perfect resignation. We see his absolute sovereignty in Colossians 1 and verse 16 when it says of Jesus Christ, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Here's Jesus' absolute sovereignty. And his perfect resignation to the Father's will, John chapter 5 and verse 17 among many examples, but this one, John 5 and verse 17, Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. He's working according to the Father's will. He's, he's following the Father's plan. Next, the beauties of Christ and his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that, as Edward says, In Christ do meet together self-sufficiency and an entire trust and reliance on God. See, here's the difference between us and Jesus. We think we're completely self-sufficient. Jesus is self-sufficient. We need entire trust in God, and sometimes we don't have it. And Jesus did. So Jesus had both of those. He was completely self-sufficient, and he entirely trusted and relied on God. And, and we fail at both of those at times, don't we? As God the Son, Jesus is entirely self-sufficient, yet we have passages like the following that make clear his entire trust and reliance on God. Uh, think about this. Jesus' enemies say of Jesus, and, and when they say this, they know little of how true what they're saying is. Matthew 27 and verse 4 He, speaking of Jesus, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. They said of Jesus, he, he trusts in God. How true. God the Son trusted in God the Father. Jesus, just think of this, our perfect example of trust and obedience. 
And we need that example, don't we? We have it in Christ. Next, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that, as Edward says, on the cross, he never in any act gave so great a manifestation of love to God and yet never so manifested his love to those that were enemies to God as in that act. Think of that. I read Edwards sometimes, and I'm just blown away by how profound it is, and I have to stop and reread it again. Let me read it again to you, uh, because I had to read that several times. He never in any act gave so great a manifestation, we're talking about on the cross, of love to God, and yet never so manifested his love to those who were enemies to God as in that act. On the cross, Jesus Christ able to both, both show his love for God and love for sinful mankind at the same time. Jesus loves the Father, and Jesus loves those who hate him. We have a hard time finding that in ourselves, don't we? We don't. I, I, living in uh, living in this area of Northeast Ohio, of course. We you know, so we moved here from Northern Michigan, where you could drive for miles and not see another car. And we love living here. And and as cities go, we love where we live. But in traffic, sometimes I've had all kinds of things directed to me through the windshield of another car facing me or beside me was like oh my word all I was doing was minding my own business and you said what in the world what did I do wrong I was in their space or something right I mean the, the <laughs> what patience Jesus shows what love Jesus shows toward those who hate hate him and hate the father and we have such a short fuse for people who just mildly, you know, mildly turn against us. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, now let's, now let's think about ourselves here. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, so much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved, praise God, by his life. Next, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact, as Edwards says, on the cross, Christ's holiness never so illustriously shone forth as it did in his last sufferings, and yet he never was to such a degree treated as guilty. Again? You want to hear it again? <laughs> Listen to it again. On the cross, Christ's holiness never so illustriously shone forth as it did in his last sufferings, and yet... He never was to such a degree treated as guilty. Let, let me, uh, I'll let 
Edwards interpret it for you. Here's what Edwards, he goes on to say this. Christ never so greatly manifested his hatred of sin as against God as in his dying to take away the dishonor that sin had done to God. And yet never was he to such a degree subject to the terrible effects of God's hatred of sin, God's hatred of sin, Jesus, subject to the terrible effects of God's hatred of sin and wrath against it, as he was then. It's overwhelming at times to think of what Jesus went through. Jesus was not guilty of any sin, but he was fully treated by God the Father as being fully guilty of all sin. Next, the beauties of Christ and his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that, as Edward says, on the cross, he never was so dealt with as unworthy as in his last sufferings. And yet, it is chiefly on account of them that he is accounted worthy. Here's how Philippians 2, verses 8 and 9 makes this clear. Of Jesus and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God... Verse 9, let me start again. Therefore... Because of verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Because he humbled himself, because he became obedient to the point of death, because he died even on a cross, therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's Jesus, treated as unworthy, but worthy. Because he humbled himself. And last but not least, the beauties of Christ in his diverse excellencies can be seen in the fact that, as Edward says, it was in Christ's last sufferings above all that he was delivered up to the power of his enemies. And yet by these, above all, he obtained victory over his enemies. Again, I read what Edward says and I'm baffled by the truth of it. Colossians 2, verses 14 and 15 says that Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I have to think that's what Edwards was reading when he wrote that. 
that it was in Christ's last sufferings above all that he was delivered up to the power of his enemies, and yet by these above all he obtained victory over his enemies. Now listen to this from Jonathan Edwards, worth hearing and hearing carefully. There do meet in Jesus Christ infinite highness and infinite condescension. Christ, as he is God, is infinitely great and high above all. He is higher than the kings of the earth, for he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is higher than the heavens and higher than the highest angels of heaven. So great is he that all men, all kings and princes, are as worms of the dust before him. All nations are as the drop of the bucket and the light dust of the balance. Yea, and angels themselves are as nothing before him. He is so high that he is infinitely above any need of us, above our reach, that we cannot be profitable to him, and above our conceptions that we cannot comprehend him. As Proverbs 30 and verse 4 says, What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Our understandings, if we stretch them never so far, cannot reach up to his divine glory. Job 11.8, it is high as heaven. What canst thou do? Christ is the creator and great possessor of heaven and earth. He is sovereign, Lord of all. He rules over the whole universe and doth whatsoever pleased him. His knowledge is is without bound. His wisdom is perfect. And what none can circumvent, his power is infinite, and none can resist him. His riches are immense and inexhaustible. And this written in the 1700s, his majesty is infinitely awful. And he means means his majesty inspires awe. That's the majesty of Jesus Christ, the worthiness of Jesus Christ to be worshipped and believed and obeyed. Yes, this Jesus, this high and exalted Christ, stooped to save sinners like you and me. How did he do it? He did it by going to Calvary. And for this we rejoice. We ought to rejoice tonight. And we ought to rejoice with every breath that God gives us, every day that God gives us, every moment we have. We ought to think about how we can honor God with all that we do and say, for this we have great reason, all the reason in the world to be the most joyful people on earth, full of rejoicing and overflowing with rejoicing. To God, for Christ. To God be the glory. May that be true of our lives this week. To God be the glory because of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I praise God for these truths. I praise God for his word. And, and may we, as we, we've begun a new year, it almost, uh, it's amazing how fast we get used to a new year, right? And we sometimes look at a new year as a new opportunity, a fresh start. But with this year, may we dedicate ourselves to bringing God glory in all that we do and all that we say 
that we would be mindful about how we think and about how we behave and about how we speak and how we do our work and how we live our lives with our families and with God's church. Because Jesus is worthy to be lived for, to be believed in, to be glorified.